Brad and Janet have come from the USA to honeymoon in New Zealand. They're on the side of the road, with the bonnet up and steam pouring out of the engine. There's no signal on their cell phones, and they haven't passed anything or anyone for at least an hour. They are currently pondering their next move when a man drives past in a ute. He reverses backwards, coming up alongside the couple. Kia ora. Uh, you cooking a hangi in there? A hangi? That's a way to cook food, isn't it? Koki nods his head. I think we might need a mechanic rather than a chef. Well, it's your lucky day. I just happen to dabble a little in both. The kitchen and the garage. Brad and Janet look at each other. We can pay you. Ah, uh, keep your money. Doesn't interest me. But people do. How about I fix your car up in exchange for having you over for dinner? And we've got a deal. Sounds fair enough. Deal. Great. They introduced themselves to each other, exchanging names and shaking hands. Janet and Brad discover that their rescuer's name is spelt K-O-K-I, but pronounced Cookie, which he explains to them with a wide smile. Janet and Brad are both taken with Cookie. Janet claps her hands at their good fortune. Their rescuer is charming, extraordinarily handsome, and they get to meet and dine with a local. Kapai, just hop on in. I'll hook the tow rope on and we'll be off. Cookie tows the car back to the house. He has a little cottage in an isolated part of the Waituhi Saddle, which backs onto the Tongariro National Park. It's misty, mysterious, wild, and beautiful. The front yard of the cottage is all flourishing vegetable garden and fruit trees. There is almost every type of fruit on display, and the vegetable beds are well tended. Overall, it's lush and healthy. Welcome to my humble abode. So, is there a lucky woman around somewhere? No, I live alone. Brad and Janet pull out their phones. Oh, no signal out here, sorry. I guess telecommunications don't want to spend a million dollars on a fool who lives out in the whops. Janet spots the hangi pit on the side of the house. Oh, I've heard about those, but I've only seen pictures of one. I've never actually seen one up close before. It looks bigger in real life. Looks like it could hold a couple of people in there. <laughs> Several, yeah. Feed the whole tribe, huh? Enough to last through the winter. <laughs> now you two go and make yourselves comfortable inside and I'll get to work on your car. Brad and Janet head inside. It's a modest, but clean and tidy little two-bedroom cottage. There's a worn two-seater sofa in the lounge and a lazy boy recliner. There's a hallway that leads into the two bedrooms and a toilet down the end. The walls are covered with photos and Janet is admiring a huge collection of bone carvings on display. There's finely carved whakakai, heru, kōwauwau and pūtōrino and the feature piece is a magnificent Pounamu Toki with an intricately designed bone handle. 
A rattling sound comes from behind one of the bedroom doors. Whoa, what was that sound? Is there someone else here? I, I thought he said he lived alone. The rattling stops and is replaced by Janet exclaiming. These, these are exquisite. I wonder what the bone is. I read that local people used whalebone. Janet is having a closer look at some of the photos on the wall. The photos are from World War II. Cookie's father must have been in World War II. Wow, the father is even better looking than the son. They look exactly alike. The son is the spitting image of his father. Cookie walks through the door. Oh, that's actually me. What? No. Seriously? I put you at 40, 50s tops, OMG. If you fought in World War II, that would make you 80, 89, e. Brad and Janet are somewhere between awe and disbelief. Were you expecting an 89 year old to be a little bit more bent over, a few hundred more wrinkles, perhaps a walking stick or two? Yeah, something like that. I look after myself. I've always lived off the land and I only eat what I grow and what I catch. Brad is skeptical. Well, I hope you're willing to share your secret to aging backwards. We have people at home who'd pay a fortune to know what the formula is. Hell, I mean, I'm willing to pay a fortune. I hope Brad and I look as good as you when we're 89, assuming we make it to 89. Cookie gives Brad a funny look and laughs, which makes Brad a little uneasy. <laughs> anyway, I've come inside to grab a couple of tools. I'm sure I can get your car up and running in no time at all. There's plenty of food in the fridge if you want to put something together. That's if we still want to dine together. Ah, yeah, of course. Cookie uses the big key hanging around his neck to get into the locked room. Brad catches a glimpse of a peculiar wall-sized cupboard. It's completely covered in a cloth. Rattling comes from behind the cloth and then stops. When Cookie exits the room, he locks the door behind him. When Cookie goes outside, Brad turns to Janet. Can you stop drooling? He's old enough to be a founding father. Anyway, don't you think it's suspicious? Janet rolls her eyes at Brad. What's suspicious? The locked door and that rattling sound for starters? The sound could be anything, and it's probably locked to stop ungrateful people like yourself poking around where they shouldn't be. Well, don't you think it's weird? I mean, 89? He doesn't just look good for his age. He looks good for any age. I've got more gray hair than him, and I'm 60 years younger. Come on, Janet. He's definitely lying. Are you saying that looking good for your age is a crime? I think you need to come down from Jealousville and start focusing on chopping these onions. Brad huffs, but gets to work peeling and chopping the onions. But he's still focused on Cookie. His lack of concentration causes his knife to slip and he cuts his finger. Oh, darn! 
Now look at what you made me do. Look at what you made yourself do. Brad looks through the drawers for a plaster. The first drawer he opens is full of knives. Take a look at these. Wow. This dude gives my uncles a run for their money. He said he lived off the land. Brad pulls out a huge bowie knife and holds it up. Janet shrugs and goes back to washing some kumara she found. Brad opens the second drawer. It's full of bottles of chloroform. Okay, Janet. Explain this then. Huh? What do you see? I see someone poking around in other people's stuff. Well, I see... Someone who doesn't act like a ruthless farmer who slit the throats of animals and watched them suffer in pain as the life drains out of them. I like to kill my meals humanely and as painlessly as possible. The meat tastes better too. See Brad, now please stop embarrassing yourself and just chop the damn onions. Cookie sees the blood dripping from Brad's finger. He pauses and licks his lips. He looks at Brad, who's looking straight at him. I'll get you a plaster for that. Oh, and um, here. Cookie holds up the car keys. All done. He throws the keys to Brad. Great. Okay, come on, dear. Let's go. After dinner, dear. Let's eat these delicious-looking marinated steaks. And then we'll be even. We promised we'd do dinner in exchange for fixing the car, didn't we? Exactly. We had a deal. And I can't let you leave without paying for the car now, can I? Oh, of course not. I'll even fry up the steaks for us. I've got a bit of experience in that department. During dinner, their host regales them with stories of his life, his adventures in faraway lands, and how his people have been in this part of the world for the last 1,000 years. At the end of the meal, Janet is complimenting the food. That was a wonderful meal. The best we've had since we've been here. But I couldn't quite place the taste. Oh, it was... it was a white meat. But the meat was red. It's a delicacy here that takes at least 20 years to prepare, hence the colour. Like a fine wine, yeah. Yes. Now, one last thing before you go. Does it? Oh, oh you, you shouldn't have. No. <laughs> no, no, I insist. I'll be right back. Cookie goes to the locked room. He unlocks it with the key around his neck, goes inside and comes back out without locking or closing the door. In his hands are two cloth-covered jars. He places one in front of Brad and the other in front of Janet. Okay, you can take the covers off. Brad and Janet remove the covers. Is that oil? Brian. While the pair examine their jars more closely, Cookie goes to the cabinet and picks up the ponamutoki with the finely carved bone handle. He twirls it around his fingers and over the back of his hand. This is dessert? Well, 20-year-old livers and brine melts in your mouth, just like dessert. Cookie lifts his toki in the air to strike and Brad throws the plate at his face. 
Cookie dodges the plate and laughs. <laughs> it may have missed, but it buys enough time for Brad and Janet to make a break for the door. They sprint out of the house and into the car. Brad puts the keys into the ignition and turns the key. That lowlife! Cookie comes out of the house, but doesn't head towards them. Instead, he goes to his ute parked behind them. Uh, what's he doing? What's he doing? The lights to Cookie's ute come on. Cookie rams his ute into the boot of the car, sending both Brad and Janet into the windscreen. Janet is barely conscious and has blood trickling from a cut on her head. Cookie reverses his ute and rams the car again. Janet, are you okay? Are you okay, Janet? Janet nods her head. Okay, he's gonna ram us again. When he reverses, we make a run for the house and grab a weapon. If we stay here, he's gonna kill us, okay? Brace yourself, here he comes. Now! Brad and Janet make a run to the house. Brad grabs a knife from the drawer and runs into the room and slams the door shut. Okay, let's brace the door. Help me pull this cabinet in front of it. There's a huge sheet covering the cupboard and Brad pulls the cover off to reveal dozens of preserved jars filled with brine. Brad and Janet freeze in horror. The jars have hands, ears, eyes, tongues, feet and various other parts swimming inside. The jars have melted wax on top, an old method of preserving food. Some of the jars are bubbling and the pair are startled when the body parts begin to move inside the jars. They hear the door of the house burst open. Quick! He's almost here! They try and drag the cabinet across the door, but they're too slow. <laughs> Cookie smashes through the door. Brad jumps at Cookie who hurls him into Janet. They both fall hard against the cupboard. Janet is knocked unconscious and Brad is dazed. All the jars smash to the ground. The smashing jars send the body parts flying in all directions. The parts flap about on the floor, alive and free. Cookie stands in the doorway. A figure of determination and strength, he rolls his shoulders, stretches his neck, and twirls his tookie repeatedly through his fingers and over his wrist. He smiles maniacally and raises his tookie to strike. He brings the Toki down in a killing strike when he is stopped mid-flight. Cookie looks up to see a single preserved hand gripping his arm, preventing him from delivering the killing blow. He attempts to shake the hand off by furiously pulling and yanking on it. Another pair of hands fly through the air and grab Cookie by the throat. They throttle him with supernatural strength. Cookie's vision starts to blacken around the edges. He claws at them with his free hand. More hands land on his face, gouging at his eyes. The strike against Cookie is coordinated. A set of jaws, complete with teeth, 
leap off the ground, bite down hard, tearing the ear off his head. Another set of jaws has attacked the other side of his head and is dangling off Cookie's other ear. Three hearts roll towards Cookie and leap up onto his face. Cookie, fully distracted, drops the Cookie. A range of feet kick Cookie in the chest. He stumbles backwards and crashes through the door, landing on the floor. The feet immobilize him by holding him to the ground by his throat. Cookie reaches down to the holster at his hip and slides his bowie knife out. He slashes at the feet and hands. The body parts go flying. Meanwhile, several sets of hands have found the toki. They lift it high into the air and with one powerful strike, fueled by their hatred and their misery, the toki flies true and buries itself in Cookie's chest. Another set of hands immediately reaches through the cavity in Cookie's chest and rips out the still beating heart. Holding it up, the hands squeeze the heart and blood fountains out. Skulls, mouths and jaws open wide to catch the falling blood. Cookie is now in the land of the dead. However, he may be dead, but it's not over yet. An army of the wairua of his victims have gathered to ensure that Cookie's wairua is sent into the abyss. He can see the wairua of his victims in lines, row after row, girded for war. The wairua attack Cookie, ripping him to shreds in fury and rage. Cookie screams as his soul is torn to pieces. There will be no return for Cookie. For a brief moment, the wairua appear to Brad, who is nursing Janet and nod in acknowledgement at his help and releasing them from eternal unrest. The wairua dissipate and fade away. Brad carries his bride out of the cottage and into the ute, resolving to never leave the great country of the US of A again. And so ends the story of Cookie the Cannibal. Pakikehua, brought to you by Te Wānanga o Aotearoa, with funding from Te Māngai Pāho.